You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. There's something I want to say about a billionaire at the top of this week's show, but it's probably not the billionaire you're thinking about. But before we get to the billionaire I'm thinking about, or the billionaires I'm thinking about, billionaires whose behavior really should be scandalizing us, I want to say this about Jeff Bezos's badass, dom-top, big dick energy move last week. For those of you just tuning in, some incredibly boring text messages that Bezos and his girlfriend sent to each other were made public a few weeks ago, made public by the National Enquirer, or the, quote, paper of record, as Donald Trump probably describes it. And these text messages, which were universally described as steamy, were supposed to shock and appall us all because now if there are children in the room or in the car, you might want to turn the volume down. We were supposed to be shocked because Jeff Bezos liked how his lover smelled and he wanted to hold her. Mmm, kinky. The release of these steamy text messages prompted Bezos and his wife, who were already separated, to announce their divorce. Well, it turns out the National Enquirer doesn't just have Bezos' text messages. They've also got pictures that Bezos sent his girlfriend, including dick pics, and pics his girlfriend sent to him. Swapping text messages, dirty text messages, and photos, including dirty photos. Billionaires! They're just like us! Just like the overwhelming majority of us, more than 80% of us who are, according to studies done at Drexel University, using our phones to flirt. We send steamy text messages and explicit photos to our spouses, to our pieces on the side, and sometimes to complete strangers. We found out about Bezos' dirty pics, not from the National Enquirer, though, but from Bezos himself. The National Enquirer was threatening to release the photos if Bezos didn't announce that the National Enquirer was not, quote, politically motivated or influenced by political forces when it had published his text messages. The National Enquirer wanted Bezos to say that they weren't carrying water for Donald Trump or they would, the implied threat was, release these photographs. Bezos opted instead to announce to the world that the National Enquirer has his dick pics which were described in detail in an email Bezos quoted in his post, and that he wasn't going to give in to this kind of blackmail. Actually took some time this weekend out of my own busy sexed messaging and dirty pics swapping schedule to write something for the New York Times encouraging Bezos to release those dick pics himself. If you're a regular Lovecast listener, even an irregular one, I didn't say anything in the New York Times that you haven't heard me say here. We live in a world where two things are true. Almost everyone has a few nude photographs out there somewhere, saved on a stranger's phone, archived on a dating app you forgot you signed up for, lingering on some tech company's server somewhere, and yet a single dirty pick has the power to end someone's career. It's a firing offense. It's blackmail material. So it's always seemed to me that... The sooner we all have a few dirty picks out there, the sooner it won't matter whose dirty picks get out there. I've always thought there should be a day, an annual release a nude pick day. Imagine a kind of purge where we all release a few dirty picks of our own, nobody else's, thus depriving hackers, vengeful exes, unscrupulous publishers, sexphobic employers, and former KGB agents of the power to destroy people's lives or their countries. 
If Jeff Bezos goes first, I think we should call the annual release a new pick day event Jeff Bezos Day. It would be a better legacy, Jeff, than, you know, the destruction of brick and mortar retail, putting unionized grocery store checkout clerks out of work and Amazon stealing tips from delivery drivers. Oh, shit. Ah, I'm almost out of time and I haven't talked about the billionaires whose behavior we really ought to be scandalized by and ought to be talking about. The Sacklers. A Sackler sounds like someone we might have talked about on the show before. Sackler, Sackling sounds vaguely euphemism-y. Suckling, of course, as everyone knows, is a particular kind of sucking. And some people like to suck nut sacks. Some people are teabagging bottoms. And if you told me that people who like to suck sacks are called sacklers, sucklers of sacks, and if you told me there were, until a few weeks ago, porn Tumblr blogs where sacklers gathered to share their sackling porn, I totally would have believed you and not been able to check your claims since Tumblr deleted 12.5 million porn blogs late last year and... Coulda, woulda, shoulda, I guess, also deleted all the sackling sackler porn blogs that might have been out there. Ugh, the world would be a better place if the sacklers were a community of dedicated ball washers. Nope, the actual sacklers own Purdue Pharma, the drug company that makes Oxycontin, the highly addictive opioid that was rolled out in 1996 and marketed as safe and non-addictive. And this misrepresentation, combined with a big push to convince doctors to overprescribe Oxy, led directly to the opioid epidemic. Members of the Sackler family made billions and continue to make billions off Oxy. As a lawsuit making its way through the courts in Massachusetts reveals, the Sacklers were personally involved in pushing misleading claims to the public about the addictiveness of OxyContin. Quote, since OxyContin came on the market in 1996, more than 200,000 people have died in the United States from overdoses involving prescription opioids, the New York Times reports. And Richard Sackler, quote, urged that sales representatives advise doctors to prescribe the highest dosage of the powerful opioid painkiller because it was the most profitable. He also urged his PR flax to blame addicts for becoming addicted to OxyContin. The opioid epidemic now kills 100 Americans every day. The National Safety Council announced last month that Americans are more likely to die from opioid overdoses now than from car crashes. Other people sex lives are inherently interesting. Welcome to the Savage Lovecast, where we discuss every week other people's sex lives. And dick pics are wonderful when they're solicited. Unsolicited dick pics, not so wonderful. But if we want to be scandalized by the actions of a billionaire... Well, it seems to me that the actions of a whole family of billionaires who profited handsomely off the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans should get at least as much press and at least as many skits on Saturday Night Live as that one billionaire who sent his girlfriend that one dick pic. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition of the show, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, I chat with Eric Loya from the Free Speech Coalition about the growing problem of sex censorship on the internet. Maybe we'll get to the deletion of all those Sackler porn blogs. And we got along so well that he stayed on to help me answer a few of your calls. And again, of course, on the micro, so many calls and conversations with you, my perverted listeners. Hey, Dan, I have a question about my partner and my relationship. We have a really open relationship. We talk about money and sexual desires, everything. Else. But I've never disclosed how much money I make. And I know that I make about twice as much as he does. Um, recently, upon a raise that I felt was not adequate, 
talking to him about it and I did tell him how much I made. The face that he made when he found out how much I made um, was shocking and he just looked like a, I shot his puppy dog. He said, wow, I can't imagine making that much. And I started thinking how guilty I feel that we split all the bills and maybe I buy a little more groceries or more expensive steaks. But I'm wondering if I should be paying more um, of our costs. We're not married, um, but we've been together a long time. And I'm kind of dealing with this crushing guilt now. There's a large body of research out there that shows that when women make more than their male partners, when women make more than their husbands, that it can destabilize the relationship. Even if people are liberal and progressive and consider themselves feminists, even if they're Democrats and progressives, a lot of us are really tied into these gendered expectations uh, about power in a relationship. And the gendered expectation, the default setting is that the man should have more power. And even people who are feminists, even a lot of women who consider themselves feminists are consciously in some cases or subconsciously, hopefully in many, many more cases, tied into that, invested in that, if I may use the word, invested in that paradoxically. So what you described can be a problem. And I'm curious, and if you'd included your phone number, I would have wanted to call you and actually get your boyfriend on the phone, about that look on his face when you told him that you make so much more money than he does. And he said, I could never imagine even making that much money. You seem to have interpreted the look on his face to mean he may feel that he's been getting a raw deal because you make so much more than he does and you've been together a long time and you've been splitting expenses 50-50, and yet you are partners, you live together. You're not married, you haven't merged your finances, obviously, but you're partners in this. And he, as a percentage of his income, is bearing a disproportionate weight of your shared expenses, rent, utilities, other things, even if you're popping for the filet mignon every once in a while. And is that why he had that look on his face? Did he feel cheated? Or did he have that look on his face because some gendered shit, some sexist shit rose up in his soul that made him feel emasculated, that this isn't the way it's supposed to work? Did he feel as if his power, which he'd never really maybe even thought about or examined because he knew you had an income and he had an income and he'd never paused to consider the possibility that given your job, you might be making more money than he does. But in that moment when that was laid before him, did he feel emasculated? And is that feeling of emasculation which is a problem in a lot of other people's relationships, a lot of opposite sex folks' relationships when it comes to who makes more money and if it's her, it's a problem. Is it going to become a problem in your relationship? Or is it just about simple fairness and how long you've been together and reassessing how you're going to split those finances? Because it seems to me, and I'm a big supporter of taxing the rich, I'm a big supporter of people who make more money bearing more of the expense of running a society. I'm a big supporter of if you're partners and not roommates, roommates, split expenses, 50-50. But if you're partners, if you're long-term romantic partners and you're not going to pool your money, the person who makes more should pay more. The person who makes more should dedicate the same rough percentage of their income to the household and maintaining it and running it for the benefit of both that the person who makes less income dedicates to the household and running it. So if you make twice as much money as he does, maybe you pay a larger percentage of the rent. If you make four times as much money than he does, maybe he pays 25% of the rent and you pay 75% of the rent. So you're both 
bearing, not in real dollars, but in percentage of income, the weight of the expense of running the household where you both live in this romantic partnership where you're sharing everything. And you say you're not married. You don't say you have a problem with that. You don't say you necessarily want to get married. I'm not telling you you have to get married. But most married people do merge their finances and then everything goes into a shared pot and the money is drawn out to cover expenses and to cover stakes. And that can be another conversation you can have. You didn't say that you necessarily wanted to get married. But if you've wanted to get married and he hasn't wanted to get married, you can make marriage your condition for merging finances and moving out of the 50-50 roommate split that you two have been doing for however long you've been together uh, to merged shared finances and everybody pouring the money into the same account and all of the expenses being drawn from that same account. Hey, Dan, I'm a huge fan of your show and I've been listening for a little while now. I want to thank you for being one of my few heroes in life. I am a gay cisgendered male and simple question. Um, I very much enjoy giving blowjobs and I do it with most of my partners but the weird thing is is that I get a super runny nose every time I suck dick um no matter when it is I just run and run and run and I have to go and blow my nose out periodically um usually the guy is pretty you know considerate of that issue and just lets me go and blow my nose but I would like to know um why why is my nose always running when I'm giving a blowjob and what can I do to perhaps prevent that blowjob runny nose problem? I hope you're sitting down. Erectile tissues, we all know where those are. You have erectile tissues in your junk, not just dudes. Women also have erectile tissues, erectile chambers, part of the clitoris. When we are aroused, those erectile tissues fill with blood. You have erectile tissue also around your nipples. A lot of people, you have erectile tissue, all people, what am I saying? You also have erectile tissue in your nasal passages that for some people, when they become aroused, their nasal passages, their nose, the erectile tissues in their sinuses, and their nose also fill with blood and begin secreting, I guess the nose equivalent of pre-cum. And so what's happening with you at that moment that you're giving that blowjob? uh, yeah, it's kicking all of your salivary, everything into gear. It's also kicking your nasal passes, the rectal tissues in your nose into gear, and they are pumping out a little bit of lubricant too. And it not necessarily a problem. Now, some people, when it comes to pre-cum, pump out a lot. It's not pumped out by the erectile tissues, but it's a part of a confluence of physiological responses and call outs and it all works together. Same thing in the nose. Uh, and so when you're aroused, when you're giving that blowjob, nose kicks into gear. What can you do about it? Well, you can hack it back and incorporate all that additional lubrication into your blowjob. A cum towel, like cum towels you keep by the side of the bed for the loads that get blown also can be by the side of the bed for the nose that needs mid-blow job to get blown once or twice. Since you know this is a thing, since you know that your nose kicks in and you produce a lot of snot during a blow job, you shouldn't be getting up and running to the bathroom for a tissue. You should come prepared. Be prepared. That's the Boy Scouts marching song. Be prepared. That should be your blowjob marching orders. Put those tissues by the side of the bed. Put that cum towel on the nightstand. And you can deftly incorporate a few blown noses into the blowjob without having to run out of the room. 
Hi, Dan. So kind of a funny story. I have been on FetLife for um, a couple of years now, but nothing's ever panned out from it. Um, I started seeing a guy recently that we just kind of met in person, and we've been hooking up and hanging out. Really, really positive, good relationship. And I noticed that somebody had messaged me on FetLife, and I recognize that it's this guy that I'm hooking up with. I'm not upset at all. We're not in like a, you know, any sort of monogamous monogamous relationship, but I don't know how to bring it up. I feel like it's like that Pina Colada song and like we both kind of found each other. Um, Our profiles are crazy the way that they mesh. It's almost like, hey, I'm looking for you and you're looking for me. Um, and I just don't know how to go about it. I'm actually really excited because I thought the sex was semi um, vanilla. And although he talked about kind of getting freaky, like I haven't seen it yet. So I've been wanting to bring it up to him anyway. So I'm just kind of curious, maybe if it would just be too weird to tell him that it's, you know, me or maybe I send him back a picture so he can tell it's me. Yeah, I would love your advice. So this is the kinky pina colada song. It is. It's, it is. That's exactly all I could think of. And that's all I've been thinking of every time we hang out since I'm like biting my tongue off. It's crazy. (laughs) Biting your tongue off. Not my kink, but your kink is okay. Even if it's not mine. Um, why haven't you just written him a note? Uh, Like this is, this is a a Yahtzee moment. You win. This is a good problem to have. You're having good vanilla sex with this person. You've established a rapport. There's intimacy. Uh, and you discovered by chance, by accident, by kismet that you're a kink match too. I, yes, I know. I'm just really nervous about, um, how to approach it. I guess I just don't want to embarrass him. And I know that's just silly. How, how would you approach someone if you, if you had to tell them that they had a winning lottery ticket? Like, <laughs> uh, unless, he's, um, unless he's one of those people. And there, there's some people out there in Kinkland who are this way. You know, there's the person you yeah. have a relationship with and there's relationship sex and they like it and it's good and they, and they need it in their lives. And then there are their kinks and they prefer to do their kinks with people that they have a different kind of connection to. And and so some people can't marry those things. And that puts the relationship you're in at risk, kind of, if you disclose. But besides that, other than that, and I think that's a small risk. Yeah, that's just my bigger worry. I meet a lot of guys that um, either they're into kinky sex and they don't want anything to do relationship side or um, anything but sex. Or you meet the vanilla guys who don't want anything. So it's been one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I, like you said, I'm nervous if I tell him this, then it's going to be like, we don't have that nice relationship anymore. We have the kinky relationship. Uh, It's one or the other. But the thing, (laughs) you know, introducing into evidence, uh, he said early when in the relationship that you're in now, when you guys are first getting your vanilla, roll on that he did have kinks and that you know he had a, like a wild side so he's almost it's almost mm-hmm. like he's one of those people who's like kinky knows he's kinky assumes you're vanilla just like you assumed he's vanilla uh, <laughs> and is letting you know that kink cards are coming he's gonna lay his kink cards on the table at some point but right now he's proving to you that he's good at vanilla and he likes vanilla so once the kink cards are on the table and you're doing kink too he's not going to neglect the vanilla sex that he assumes is your primary interest and, okay. and so it doesn't sound like he's trying to keep these things 100% separated. You know, he's vanilling the shit out of you right now, but he like put down a marker that said, you know, at some point I'm going to want to kink the shit out of you too, or instead, or in addition. 
So okay. I, I think the risk of him being one of those, you know, Madonna whore came up on an earlier call, one of those Madonna <laughs> whore types, but for kink, and they're out there, uh, yeah. where, you know, vanilla sex is for the person you love and kink is for somebody that you care about as a partner, perhaps, or you have a more distant connection to so that you can just fully live in the kink roles and not, you know, have to shift from arguing about bills or the rent or the, you know, the grind of daily life to like dom sub roles. Some people can't do that. They can't make that leap. Um, but it sounds like he isn't one of those people who can't make that leap because he already told you in the context of your vanilla kink or your vanilla relationship, your vanilla kink in the context of your vanilla shit that you're doing right now that, you know, kink cards are coming. Okay. So a message through fat life wouldn't be, Weird, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if you were going to do the message through Fed Life, I would do it if you were both sitting side by side. Uh, if we were okay. both, both of you sitting side by side on your laptops in the living room uh, for right. a moment, message him then so that he can like. I just, it's been hard to bring up. It's not, it's like, hey, you ever heard that song? Funny story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm going to make you an uh, offer. <laughs> I'm going to make you an offer. If you can't do it, you give me his phone number and I will do it for you. <laughs> that nice girl you've been I, dating who you think is vanilla, you might want to look up her <laughs> FetLife profile because you win Yahtzee. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm just, I'll spill the beans. And, and uh, thank you so much for calling me because I've been just like anxious to, to know what to do about it. You spill the beans. You have to make me a promise. Yes. We get a call back letting us know how it went. Oh my gosh. Yes. Hopefully it's um, tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a call back. Everyone wants to know how the, this Pina Colada song ends. Okay. Thank you so much for calling me, Dan. Bye. Hi, Dan. We've always raised our 17 year old daughter to be a sexually independent young woman. Up until recently, she went to an all girls school and avoided boys. That changed when our younger 14-year-old son invited his 14-year-old friend over for a sleepover several weeks ago. I should say that our daughter looks very young for her age, and this boy looks quite old and developed and comes off as very mature. They started flirting, which became romantic and recently became sexual. Our daughter now wants to go on the pill. We've looked the other way when the boy comes over for sleepovers, supposedly to hang out with my son. Because of their age difference, they feel awkward about being in public together and really won't do anything outside the house. One issue is that the boy's mom is a devout Christian and would be completely opposed and horrified if she knew her son was having sex. I should note that in our state, they are both above the age of consent and close enough in age where my daughter is not at legal risk. If we tell the boy's mother that her son is having sex with our daughter, she will definitely put a stop to the relationship. We're left feeling torn about whether we should say something to his mom who is allowing him to stay at our home under false pretenses. What should we do? Should we say something? Please help us think this through. So your daughter's a youngish 17. Your son's 14-year-old friend is a mature 14. And the age of consent laws where you live allow for your 17-year-old daughter and this 14-year-old boy to have sex consensually. There's no statutory rape going on here. There's perhaps a Romeo and Juliet law in your state that allows for older teenagers to sleep with younger teenagers. Perhaps the age of consent where you live is 14 as it is in several states. So nothing illegal is happening here. 
the the ethical dilemma is if this boy's mom knew and do you have a responsibility to run to this boy's mom and inform her? And is that an out for you? If you and your wife are uncomfortable with what's going on under your roof, this boy coming over under the pretense of hanging out with your son when he's actually coming over to fuck your daughter, you need to take responsibility for that. Instead of outsourcing the shutting down of this to this boy's crazy religious mother, you should shut it down yourselves if it makes you uncomfortable doesn't sound like it makes you uncomfortable then there's the issue of your daughter who is sexually active and 17 even if she's a youngish appearing 17 she is 17 and sexually active she needs to be on birth control a long lasting form of birth control irrespective of who her partner is or how you feel about that partner or the age of that partner or who that partner's crazy bitch mother is Get your daughter on birth control. It is sort of the Scandinavian, Dutch-Danish thing to allow for teenagers to have sex with their partners in mom and dad's house under mom and dad's roof because teenagers are going to be sexually active, many of them. And if they have to sneak around, then there aren't adults, not in the room, but not adults present, not adults easily available to them if there is an issue around condom break, if there's an issue around the need for emergency birth control, if there's an issue around pressure or consent or violence, better that that should happen where there are adults who can swiftly intervene or be turned to in a crisis for advice and support. It is a problem for a lot of sexually active young people that they can't turn to the adults in their lives, that they turn to when they had a cold, that they turn to when they had a broken bone, that they turn to when they had an issue with their homework or a conflict with a peer at school that was non-sexual. And they suddenly can't turn to those adults in their lives when they have issues about the sex, the consensual sex that they are having because they fear being judged, they fear being shamed, they fear being dragged to a church and screamed at by a pastor or they fear in the cases of a lot of queer kids being thrown out of the house and made homeless. So it is a good thing that these two sexually active young people who are not breaking any laws, who are not doing anything wrong, have the safety and security and comfort of being sexual in this controlled environment with adults they can turn to in case of a crisis. And if I were in your shoes, if I were the parent here, I would allow for this. I would accommodate this. I would perhaps suggest that the pretense end, that if he's coming over to see my daughter, that he doesn't have to pretend he's coming over to hang out with my son and that I'm not a fucking idiot. And they don't have to treat me like one. They also don't have to run interference. They also don't have to lie because I'm not a crazy conservative Christian who's going to blow up in a rage. Speaking of crazy conservative Christian parents, again, here at the end, I don't think you should turn this kid into his mother. Even at 14, 15, 16, an adolescent has a right to some zone of sexual autonomy, some zone of privacy. And if his mother isn't rational about sex and sounds like she's not, don't rat him out to her. Allow for him to have this freedom, this autonomy, this privacy in your home, the kind of freedom, autonomy, and privacy he doesn't get in his home. Make it safer for him by getting your daughter on birth control, safer for your daughter by getting your daughter on birth control. And you should have a face-to-face to him where you tell him you know what's going on and that you love your daughter very much and you expect him to treat her respectfully and to be kind and decent. And you will hold him accountable if he's not. Hi, Dan. I'm 44-year-old trans woman, although that's not actually germane to the discussion. I 
kicked a friend out of my life a couple of years ago because she was she was just generally an asshole, but she did a lot of like kind of passive aggressive abusive behavior to people. And I think the thing that most bugged uh, me and my partner was that she had uh, she was Polly. She had two boyfriends that lived with her, and she treated them both horribly. She berated them all the time. When she wasn't berating them, she was passive aggressively mean. We just kept getting. I just kept seeing looks in the eyes of her boyfriends. That I mean, I had a, an abusive childhood, and I remember looks on the faces of the face of my mother that I'm not seeing on these two grown men. Uh, anyway, this was a few years ago, but she was especially kind of just belittling and infantilizing to uh, one of them. And uh, we just couldn't deal with it anymore. So we kicked her out of our lives. I, I told her off. Anyway, a few years later, I talked to an ex-girlfriend of the uh, one of her boyfriends, the one that I said gets picked on the most. And uh, she tells me, and I know she shouldn't have told me this. This is actually part of my moral quandary. But she tells me that his kink is public humiliation, which kind of changed the, it really flipped the script on me at that point. It really changed the context of it. And my, my question is, by her being cruel to him in front of us all the time, was she like forcing us without our consent to participate in their kink? I can't, you know, I can't say anything about it, obviously, because I'm not supposed to know about it. I don't speak to these people anymore anyway. But it it started to bother me when I heard that because it was just like, wow, were we innocent bystanders in a BDSM scene? It's possible that you were innocent bystanders in a BDSM scene. It's possible that you were involved in a BDSM role play scenario without your knowledge or consent. It seems likelier, it seems more probable that this guy has a public humiliation kink and your old ex-friend that you cut out of your life is an asshole and that these things were concurrent. And when your friend was being uh, abusive and when your friend was being monstrous to this person, it wasn't uh, the public humiliation scene. It was just your friend's an asshole and monstrous. And coincidentally enough, he has a public humiliation kink. Because, you know, people who have the public humiliation kink thing, it's usually highly stylized. It's usually very much a, a, a ritual uh, with certain marks that are hit that, that that turn them on. Just like in vanilla sex, usually there's a lot of marks that people hit that turn them on. And there's a, a script and there's a, there's a structure and there's a framework. And that would have been apparent uh, over time if your friends had been going through motions around – public uh, erotic humiliation. And that's not what you witnessed. It wasn't like your friend was ordering her boyfriend to, to get on his knees or she was degrading him in some way that was clearly erotic. Your friend was just being shitty. And that's not how public humiliation kink works in the same way that Beating into BDSM, being into impact player sensation play isn't the same thing as just being punched in the fucking face. And it is possible for someone to have a relationship where their kinks are indulged, their desire for a certain kind of degradation, a certain kind of ritualized erotic humiliation, that that's being, that need is being met. And also that person who's meeting that need in an erotic context for them and privately publicly in front of other people is just revealing themselves to be an asshole who's generally not very good to their partners. 
And that seems the likelier scenario here. This person has this kink, maybe in private, it was indulged. In public, your friend who in private was capable of indulging this person's kink, in public, your friend was just an asshole. And these phenomena are not mutually exclusive. So all that said, these people are out of your lives. They're not going to confront anyone. So this is entirely hypothetical. You ask at the end what my position is on consent and involving people in your kink. I think that you shouldn't involve anyone in your kinks without their consent. With the footnote, of course, that there are some secret thrills that people can derive that involve other people who have no awareness of what is going on. And that is okay. I've written a lot about the secret thrill and the legitimate secret thrill versus the illegitimate secret thrill. Uh, And if anyone's interested in looking that up, uh, it's a quick Google search away. Hi, Dan. Uh, Cisgender 29-year-old male here. I'm having a disagreement with my girlfriend that I'm hoping you can solve. Uh, We're in an open relationship and like to talk to each other about who we're currently interested in. Recently, I moved and had to find a new doctor to get a prescription filled. I randomly picked one that was near me, and it turns out that she's approximately my age, and I'm very attracted to her. After joking to my girlfriend that there's no way that I could ever get a date with my doctor, she said that I should ask her out. I'm of the opinion that it's not possible to ask someone in this setting out on a date without being a creepy, weird guy. My girlfriend says that if I tell her I'm finding a new doctor first, I could ask her to get a drink, and uh, it'd be okay. So, Dan, can you settle this for us? Uh, Which one of us is right? So basically, your line here is, I want to fuck you, you're fired. I just began to see you as a patient. I'm attracted to you. I want to ask you out. I am no longer going to see you as a patient. I don't think that's going to be a successful strategy. Someone who is a doctor, someone, they're not bartenders. I'm not saying doctors are bartenders, but somebody who has to interact with the, the public the way you, your physician has to sees clients, sees patients, and is attractive is going to be on the receiving end of a certain amount of sexual, romantic attention. People are going to hit on this person. This person probably wanted to make you feel at ease, wanted to make you comfortable. The odds that she is attracted to you, I think, are pretty slim. You know, the odds that any one person is attracted to any other one person are always pretty slim. I'm not disparaging you in any way. But just because you're attracted to her doesn't follow that she's attracted to you. Even if she was open and affable and friendly and smiley, she's your doctor. She wanted to put you at ease. And perhaps she has an affable and smiley demeanor. Not all doctors do. Maybe she does. And a little dickful thinking kicked in and you're telling yourself that she might be up for it. If you weren't her patient, can you hit on her? You're not in a position of power over her. I suppose you could ask her out. It might screw up your relationship, your doctor-patient relationship. You might not be comfortable seeing you in that capacity anymore, particularly if you're coming in for unnecessary prostate exams at a weekly clip. And you might then have to go see a different doctor. There's a whole other layer here in that you already have a girlfriend. If you ask her out, she may assume that you are single and available because that is the default assumption. And then you have to mention that you have a girlfriend. It's not just that you have to establish that she would date a patient. You also have to then establish that she is open to dating someone who currently has a partner. That she's not just a doc, but she's a poly doc. Seems like a lot of hurdles to clear. I would, if I were you, operate on the assumption that she wasn't interested in me and that I already have a girlfriend and so I don't need to chase my doctor and keep seeing her as a patient. And if there's a spark there, maybe after a few more visits, 
You could ask her out. You could lead with if the answer is no, please say no. If this screws up our doctor patient relationship, I will go find a, a new doctor and I apologize, but I've been sensing and maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, you're consenting adults and she has no power over you and you have no power over her. And I believe that consenting adults should be able to ask other consenting adults out on dates. But the odds, I think, are longer here than your dickful thinking may have led you to believe that they are. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to have a conversation with Eric Paul Loya, Executive Director of the Free Speech Coalition, the National Trade Association for the Adult Industries. Last week at the top of the show, I talked about sex censorship on the Internet, the growing problem, the FOSTA-SESTA exacerbated problem of sex censorship on the Internet. And Eric Paul Loya and the Free Speech Coalition is fighting censorship on the Internet and in other places. And he joins me now to talk about the problem. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Dan? Good. Thanks for coming in. Now, of course. For people who haven't been paying attention, everybody out there trying to raise the alarm about censorship of sex and sexual content on the internet, what are they talking about and why is it a problem? Well, so what we're seeing is it used to be the government that would restrict our freedom of speech, but what we're now seeing is that corporations are the ones stepping up. So we've had legislation passed uh, that is called SESTA-FOSTA, which basically imposes third-party liabilities onto websites. Basically, if if I post something on my Facebook that is like, hey, I'm a sex worker, do you want to hire me? Then Facebook could be made liable for that under the guys that even though I would be a consenting sex worker, um, uh, I would potentially be a traffic person. So you would be trafficking yourself and Facebook allowing you to post that notice. Yeah on their site would make them liable and they could be prosecuted. Yeah, so that's so that's SESTA FOSTA in a nutshell and obviously that provides a huge problem because sex workers all across the country have lost online resources, they've lost the ability to screen their clientele, they've 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 just lost a lot of sort of protection and what we're now seeing is there was just an article uh, in San Francisco published um, uh, that we have street-based sex work actually taking up again and that's when we have difficulties to protect sex workers. Now, for people out there who are thinking... <clears throat> There are people who've been trafficked online. Yeah. There are sometimes cases where people find that there are 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds who are being offered up online by a third party and you could and are being trafficked. And so to shut down people advertising uh, sex work or sex workers online, does it not protect those 16-year-olds? So we've heard uh, – so in general, of course, that's a good idea, right? We want to stop trafficking. I think we're all very committed to that. The problem is when uh, Backpage closed, what we actually saw is that – there was a huge drop in sort of where we were able to find trafficking victims in order to help them out of those traffic situations. So when we lose the avenue to discover trafficked persons, then we also lose the ability to help them um, because they'll just be on some underground website that we can't find or so, on the streets or on the streets which is then like how do you how do you find them like we're not going to have fbi agents walking up and down every single street to check hey are you traffic so the argument then is basically <clears throat> allow sex workers to advertise online and scrutinize those ads yeah. for evidence that someone is not consenting someone is a minor and then you can approach that person or contact that person or reach that person somehow through the yeah. ad to provide services to provide quote unquote rescue well and sex that's workers complain about as a concept right, but right Rights not rescue, but um, what we're what we're obviously seeing is um, work with the people that are consenting sex workers to help learn what like how to find actual trafficking victims. Mm-hmm. And like the federal government spends a lot of money on sort of counter trafficking efforts, but there's very little reports and very little evidence. But what we're seeing now, in addition to SESTA FOSTA, is we're seeing a lot of corporations becoming the arbiters of free speech. So obviously, the First Amendment um, is speaks in regards to our freedom of speech towards the government or with the 
government, but it doesn't really it doesn't really necessarily protect our freedom of speech on Facebook, on Twitter, on Tumblr. Which is the argument about Twitter, you know, kicking Milo Yiannopoulos off Twitter, that he's not being censored because the government didn't kick Milo Yiannopoulos yep. off Twitter. Twitter is a private corporation. Yep. They get to decide who plays on their platform. But because of FOSTA, SESTA, what you have now is companies that fear being held liable for the speech that others are engaged in yeah. on their platforms, just creating broad and sweeping policies that are knocking all sorts of content uh, offline, not just sex workers. Craigslist yep. shut down their personals. Tumblr deleted 12.5 million blogs. That- yeah, what do they do now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to Tumblr since. Like, if there's no porn on Tumblr, what do you do? Share cooking recipes? Uh, well, I guess there's still Nazis and racists and white supremacists Those are still Tumblr. allowed because that's perfectly fine. And so we see that with Apple. So on the Apple iPhone, you actually, as a parent, you have a filter that you can put onto your child's phone. So it filters everything out that has to do with sex, which includes sexual health education, which includes sort of like, hey, I'm gay. What do I do? Conversion therapy is totally still okay with the filter. Uh, white supremacists are okay. So there's just this, there's this huge problem. So what we're seeing is like the Apple App Store, right, obviously controlled Tumblr mm-hmm. um, after the Verizon purchase. So then suddenly Tumblr loses access to the Apple App Store, which is about 60% of the market space here in the United States. So they can't afford that. So they take everything down. Now they're back allowed in, right, after a slap on the wrist. We're seeing it with Scruff banning underwear pictures in their profile it's pictures. It's a gay dating hookup app it's that a hookup ba- app. banned underwear pictures because yeah. is the theory that people who post pictures of themselves in jock straps or underwear are likelier to be engaged in sex work than people no. who post pictures of so, so that's where we have the difference between SESTA FOSTA that had some sort of realistic intent but then we what we now have is we have corporations that are controlled by shareholders and stock market prices so because there is this awkward false narrative around sex is terrible in the United States sex is a really difficult topic for companies to deal with so Apple generally bans anything that includes nudity in the apps uh, Google Play now did it and that's how it happened to Scruff Google also obviously controls YouTube. So we're seeing um, sexual health content or like kink education content or even transgender content, like not being able to be found or it's like pixelated or it's like not being able to mon- to be monetized. So the creators can't do anything. We see the same problem with Patreon controlled through PayPal. We see the same problems with um, Google Drives. If you have sexual content on your Google Drive, they can shut down your account and you lose all of your stuff. I just want to be clear. Like so, A minute ago, we were talking about... Uh, sex workers that. advertising online yep. and best practices. Like yep. if there's somebody who's being, he's 15 years old, living out of line, that ad can draw attention to that person. Yep. That person can be helped, not just exploited. Um, but that's moot really because if folks assess it, there's no more ads online for sex Correct. workers. Yep. Uh, and, but also now, Post Assessor is just is not driving the entire sex panic mm-hmm. on the internet, but it is a part of it. And these other yeah. examples you cite are just corporations suddenly getting cold feet about sexual content yep. after there was this great boom online in sexual content. Yep. And you know, when you say that, people think, oh, it's just porn, it's just dirty pictures. We're not we haven't run out of dirty pictures online. Pornhub is still up on the internet. <laughs> a lot of that content was self-generated, self-created. Mm-hmm. It was about personal self-expression. And it also created communities. Exactly. And community norms. And community norms around sex, particularly marginalized sexual communities or sexual practices, 
Those are good things to have out there. Yeah, exactly. Because where do you go if you grow up in middle of America? Like, where do you find information about what does it mean to be gay? How do I talk to my parents? What is pre-exposure prophylaxis? How do I protect my sexual health? Like, all of those resources I that have we interest don't have. in, you know, power player king. Yeah, exactly. How do I express that in a healthy way? And is it possible to express that? Yeah, and how do I negotiate consent? What is consent? How does it work? But apparently in the U.S., we are so obsessed with we're going to sexualize ice cream and to sell it, but we can't talk about sex, we can't educate about sex in schools, and then we're going to walk around and be like, oh, the porn industry taught those poor people that every pizza man is there to have sex with. And we're just like, ugh. <sighs> That's like saying the Fast and the Furious is a driver's license. How are corporations succumbing to this? I, uh, you know, we've understood for years that we can't get decent, comprehensive uh, sex education into the schools that also covers the existence of queer people that covers gender or consent in smart and informative and helpful and useful ways to mm-hmm. young people. And we've sort of seeded high school to, to the, the crazies. They want sex ed out more than people who want it in want it. Yep. They want it harder to, yeah. to, to keep their kids ignorant. And so a lot of us were saying, you know, in the, in the nineties and the aughts, well, there's so much great sex education online now that that is, you know, it's not as good as mandatory compulsory sex education in the schools. It's comprehensive, but it's something. Mm-hmm. And that's what's being driven offline now. Yeah. And is it just this idea? Has, have corporations succumbed to this idea that if you keep people ignorant about sex, they won't have it? Are corporations invested in people not having I, sex? I think it's just, I think it's a lot of different things. I think we're seeing, you know, going back to our first point, Foster Sesta, we're seeing liabilities being pushed onto corporations. I mean, I'm sure that Apple is more than happy to have lots of traffic through the app store so people can download gruff and find a good date. But um, but we see like these awkward third party, uh, those third party liabilities that sort of chipped away on Section 230, which basically uh, was federal regulation and law that said the internet is free. Um, then we saw and the also, attacks. And, and let, let's pause there to, yeah. to, to really unpack Section 230. What it said was if, you know, you have a, a website that allows comments and someone mm-hmm. says something defamatory in the comments, you can't be prosecuted. Somebody put that on your platform and, and they're responsible for their own comments on your platform. Exactly. So it really held you not, you know, it held publishers like The Stranger, my, my home paper in Seattle, not liable for the, what the commenters might say. Yeah. We didn't have a duty to screen them. Yep. And Fostasesta blew a hole in that and yep. said, you are liable for what people put on your website. So mm-hmm. somebody was coming to The Stranger or somebody was coming to somebody else's website and posting you know, in a comments thread or in some little chat room that isn't monitored, Mm -hmm. uh, an offer to, you know, $30 for a blowjob, you could be prosecuted. The, the, the publisher of that site or the person who owned the site where that chat room was can be held legally liable for what was going on there. And that's created a kind of terror Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of people have giant websites with hundreds of thousands of chat rooms yep. and they can't possibly monitor every single one. So they're just blocking all sexual They're just blocking content. all of it. And we're even seeing it. So uh, in the adult industry and in adult entertainment, we actually had fans that like followed kink.com, for example, right? And there was this great user forum of like, oh my God, I saw this flogging scene. Where can I learn more? All of these forums literally just disappeared because the companies are all afraid of being pushed for liabilities because how are you going to monitor, as you rightly said, how are you going to monitor 
millions of, of, of comments. And so, and that's when we then talk about filters, right? Mm-hmm. An automated filter is bound to misunderstand the concept. I mean, we all have different types of jokes. We have different sort of inter uh, community sort of uh, language that we use. And so for some person that might be offensive, like if I call my best friend a faggot, but we do it as a joke, right? Um, but the, but the filter might just pick that up and say, Oh no, we can't do that. So we're giving, we're giving automated filters the control over our speech. Banks, uh, banks, shareholders, um, the PayPal's of the world, the Apple's and the Google's, they're the ones that sit in some boardroom and say, this is allowed, this is not allowed, and that's done. And I think that that's problematic. And I, you know, it's going to always be allowed straight hetero missionary oh yeah within the bounds of matrimony we're going to be able to talk about yep. that kind of sex mm-hmm. online yep. until we're all ready to throw up including people who are only interested in that kind of sex but we're not going to be able to talk about yep. queers yep. we're not going to be able to talk about kinky people about poly people we're not going to be able to talk about you know, marginalized forms of sexual expression yep. and people who need information and need community need to find out that they are not alone and that there are people out there like them and that they are happy and healthy and normal and you can have a functioning sex life and a functioning social life mm-hmm. that in, that includes your sex life. And all of that is being driven offline. Yeah, you're no longer allowed to find a community. I mean, look at look at the early days of let's just go for HIV AIDS, right? We lost so many people. And then we started, as the internet came around, we've started building communities which increased information sharing. It increased uh, community knowledge, education, and other pieces. And now all of those things are just being driven away. So all of our communities that are in technicality tiny, right? They're not the white, cis, hetero majority, um, they're now having to scramble to find new online spaces. Realistically, what can we do? Fosta Sesta passed overwhelmingly in both houses of Congress. Democrats supported it overwhelmingly because people said this is anti-sex trafficking. And that's basically all you have to say now is this will fight sex trafficking. Everyone will, you know, if you said if we nuke the moon, it'll fight sex trafficking. Democrats would vote to nuke the moon. (laughs) Realistically, what's how do we fight this? How do we roll Fosta Sesta back? How do we take back from these corporations? You know, we become so dependent on these platforms, these monopolies. We live our lives on them. Mm -hmm. And if they're curtailing what may or may not be expressed there, it really is, you know, editing our lives for us or, or or diminishing the horizons, uh, you know, and and the potential of our, our our lives, our lives involve sex in, in a very huge way. And if you're not allowed to express yourself on these platforms where people express themselves and find each other now mm-hmm. how do we roll that back how do we fight it so that's a very good question dan um so for one obviously um uh, i was mad when fossa sesta was passed but i also understood that we're running up to an election year um for the general public that doesn't understand sex work that doesn't understand sex trafficking um and what the difference between consent and non-consent is um uh, obviously they were like oh well if my legislator votes against stopping human trafficking then i will not vote for them so there was a certain political motivation behind just just push it through and then we'll try and fix it and anybody that spoke against it was just was side pillory. like yeah it was pillory um uh, uh in the media and everywhere else because the context is missing so what i think is incredibly important is that we never give up on having these conversations you having me here today is so valuable because we all need to think in broader terms and we need to we need to force ourselves to continue to have that education that conversation and share that knowledge so instead of my my big guiding point for my life is always when i look at something that i'm not familiar with 
worth, then I go to all sides of the spectrum to understand what this is actually about rather than just listening to one side mm -hmm. like Fox News and being like, ooh, okay, I have all the information. It's always good to double check your resources, uh, your sources um, and uh, reach out to your legislators and say, this is a problem I'm seeing. I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm a gay man. Um, I can no longer hook up with somebody over the internet and like our bars are being priced out of the city. So what am I going to do? Um, legislators can only act when we educate them. And sometimes it takes a long time to educate them, but it's reasonable to do the same thing. Also, um, I mean, Apple always stands up there and says, Oh, we support the LGBT community. I mean, every pride festival, there is a gigantic train, right? And there's great people that Google work for is Apple. There. Google is In there. Numbers. Bank Apple of America, there. Bank Wells of Amer Fargo, All these corporations Chase, that are shutting down sexual expression PayPal, on the internet yeah. are at the pride. They're like, here, celebrate us. sexual diversity. Exactly. Like, buy our brand. Buy our brand. But actually, we don't really care about you. So, and I think it's part of, we have to put pressure on the corporations. And we've seen it over the last two years when when people speak out and they, they continuously speak out, it actually does exert pressure. And so I think, you know, um, the other thing that... Uh, okay, so, so I shouldn't feel so helpless because these are two separate things. Yep. Repealing FOSTA-SESTA is going to be a long-term project. Well, and there's a lawsuit in to, the ways. That's, that's tied to decriminalizing sex mm -hmm. work, right? Yeah. Uh, but then there are these other moves corporations are making proactively and unnecessarily, mm -hmm. not in response to FOSTA-SESTA, but in the climate that brought us FOSTA-SESTA, yep. to shut down sexual content on the internet. And we can fight that and be victorious in that fight or win battles in that fight without first having to repeal FOSTA-SESTA. Exactly. Exactly. We can absolutely do that because the corporation, so FOSTA-SESTA is so overbroad that every corporation's sort of um, uh, risk assessment team will sit there and be like, okay, we're going to stop everything because that's the safest thing to do. Mm. Well, we all know that's not the way that media works. So that's a part that we can that we can do. And then as we just talked about sex education, there is a piece of legislation that is stuck on the federal level. It's called the Real Education for a Healthy Youth Act, um, which would actually bring by federal law comprehensive sex said into every school. And so that's another thing. Like, so you can't you always to define comprehensive. I mean, comprehensive, I've seen a lot of comprehensive like, sex ed programs that are just reproductive biology with a condom on a banana <laughs> thrown in. That's not comprehensive. And that is not comprehensive <laughs> sex education. Also, bananas don't necessarily involve, are involved in every sex. And they're already wrapped up. You have to unwrap them to wrap them up again. That's weird. <laughs> so, but it's a valuable thing to reach out to your legislator and say, I support this. I've read the legislation and I can tell you it is really comprehensive, LGBTQQIA inclusive, all the prevention options. And what's the name of that bill again? It's the Real Education for Healthy Youth Act. And you should support it. I last week urged people, even if you're not in the adult industry, to join the Free Speech Coalition. You guys do great work. Thank you. Uh, what's so deeply ironic about this for me personally, and I just want to end here, I often, people ask me, like, what's changed? I've been writing Savage Love for such a very long time. What has changed? And a lot of the questions back in the day, I called them referrals because people would write me and say, I live in Dallas and I want to swing. My wife and I want to join a swingers club. We can't find them. And I would have all of these, you know, little Samus dot publications from all over the country that I would find in, you know, dirty bookstores that had like the P.O. boxes for the swing clubs in Dallas Amazing. listed with, you know, all the P.O. boxes for all the swing clubs in all the cities, mostly in the South, mostly in red states. And I would occasionally run their P.O. box. Say, oh, if you're in Dallas, you're looking for the swing club, write to this org here. And I would refer people. Mm -hmm. And I joked, that, I joked that, you know, my column was easier to write when it was half referrals because <laughs> I didn't have to think. I just had to like transcribe. They're like, FYI. But you now go. you can Google, uh -huh. or until very recently, you could Google Swing Club Dallas, and you would get 
the website for that swing club and you didn't need me and my column became harder to write because it's all situational ethics. I did this, they did that, who's the asshole, who's right, who's wrong. That's harder, I had to think. <laughs> and so in some ways, like if they take sex off the internet and my column is half referrals again, now don't be selfish. My job gets easier. Don't be selfish. That's not how this works. Dan. I won't be selfish. So while we can still talk about sex on the internet, at Let's least do in it. podcast form, will you stick around and take a couple questions with me? Of course. Happy to. Hey, Dan. So I just entered into a sub and dom relationship. Um, I'm totally new at this. It is making me incredibly happy. I feel like it's one of the things in life I've been missing out on. <laughs> um the thing I'm asking is when does it become unhealthy? I'm starting to feel like I use this as an anxiety solution. I've dealt with anxiety my entire life and I just feel better and stronger when I get, you know, kind of punished, et cetera. <laughs> I did let it get a little too far the other night. Um, <laughs> am I being stupid? I think this is much better than being on any kind of medication for anxiety, but I would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. So obviously the first piece of advice for her would be to get some clarity, to think about your boundaries and your limits and communicate those to your partner. I'm really concerned that she says things went a little too far the other night uh, and then doesn't tell us what happened, doesn't sound particularly traumatized by it, isn't running screaming from her kinks or these desires, this newly discovered uh, BDSM or DS relationship. Uh, but clearly, uh, you know, she's new to this. She needs to give thought to her right as the sub in this relationship to set clear limits. Beyond that, treating anxiety with kink? I mean, so as a former Mr. Los Angeles Leather of 2014, I may have some experience <laughs> Ooh, in the Leather royalty in my mm, studio. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so I might have some experience with this. So, of course, you're right, right? So even in a DS relationship, you always, you're still allowed to negotiate boundaries. There should be a safe word so that if you come into a situation you're not familiar with, you can stop that. So we all know that. And if you're the S, if you're the submissive in a DS relationship or proposed one, and you want to discuss your limits, and the D says subs aren't allowed to have limits, run. Oh yeah. Literally just walk out and be like, bah, bitch. Yeah. Like not doing it. That is not a responsible Dom. That yeah. is no one that you want to submit to. No. And that is bullshit. That's total bullshit. However, uh, DS relationships, of course, can bring an incredible amount of stability, security, caring, nurturing, because a DS relationship is not just about, oh, I slapped you on the butt. Ho, 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 ho. But it's, it's a lot. I mean, um, I've, I've lived through both, uh, roles of Dom and sub, and I'm actually, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a full-time switch. So I know the the incredible responsibility it is to be a dom, but I also understand that it's so great when you're a sub, you can literally just reach out to someone that's like your dedicated person all the time. And you're like, I need to deal with this. Mm -hmm. What we need, like, you know, so I always felt there was a great level of communication and a good connection. And so just like with every relationship, um, it still remains respectful. And I mean, the the play, the BDSM of it all, um, uh, the play is 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 a part of that, but it goes so much deeper. And so the, the play can be for a lot of people in BDSM, the BDSM communities will describe it as very cathartic mm -hmm. as a release. And you aren't the first caller. You aren't the first person who's connected engaging in BDSM play or DS play with, uh, 
not as a, an effective treatment for, but as a way that they process or uh, work through their anxiety. Mm-hmm. It can release a lot of endorphins. It can uh, take you to a place of true vulnerability, but with a safety net uh, and allow you to kind of wallow for a moment in in that in those feelings of vulnerability allow you to you know own and purge your anxieties in a way and there are studies that show that people who practice bdsm are, are healthier that's not that you just take somebody the average person who may be unhappy or unhealthy and add bdsm and they're healthy but people who have these interests have these desires can build them into their life in a consensual and thoughtful way are obviously going to be more self-actualized around their sexual interests um, and more comfortable with themselves mm-hmm. and really you know what about being more comfortable yourself isn't going to help you with those feelings of anxiety or anxiousness that you've struggled with over the years. Exactly. And the level of communication in BDSM relationships generally is so much higher, which I would absolutely personally claim that that contributes to a healthy relationship because I see so many straightforward relationships that are not kinky where just communication is all about you take the dog out who's buying the groceries okay let's are we watching a movie we're going to bed Mm -hmm. and in bdsm you have a very strong continuous dialogue um i mean just negotiating a scene even if you are in a committed ds relationship you're still going to be negotiating a scene of like what do you want today what do i want today what are our limits and so like the way that you learn your partner and that security that comes with that is actually a really beautiful and you have to really advocate for yourself as a sub in a BDSM relationship and just taking responsibility for yourself in that way, advocating for yourself in that way in a responsible way. Uh, hopefully, you know, everybody who's new to the BDSM scene as a sub, the first time you're with somebody who's a dom, they are solicitous, they are thoughtful, they are uh-huh. drawing you out, they aren't imposing because really the subs drive those scenes and those connections. And if the D takes the sub someplace too fast or someplace the sub didn't want to go, that can cause real harm. That can really psychologically traumatize a person and no responsible Dom wants to inflict that kind of trauma on a person. So subs out there, people who are in the same place that this caller was a, a few weeks ago before she began to experience this. If you are interacting with a Dom who doesn't care about your needs, doesn't care about your desires, isn't interested in your limits or tells you you're not as a sub or you're not a real sub. If you have limits, that person is not a responsible BDSM practitioner. That person is an abuser dressed up as a BDSMer, mm-hmm. and you should run. Perfect summary. One more call. Yeah. Hi, Dan. I'm a, early 20s straight woman in the Midwest. And I have a question about blowjobs. So I just gave my first blowjob and I like, I actually threw up a bit in the middle of it. How, how do you give a blowjob without like hitting your gag reflex directly? <laughs> I'm, I'm so touched by this call. And I, I just early 20s and giving your first blowjob. I know. Isn't that cute? I, I think that's adorable, but we're also, it's, it is the Midwest. And, um, I, I think props for calling and for asking for advice, first of all. So gag reflex threw up in your mouth a little bit. We've all been there. I mean, I've definitely done that. I was definitely just younger than 20. <laughs> but I was also in Berlin, Germany, and Germans are efficient. We do it all a little quicker. So, that, that's you know, true. we get this done. But um, 
I think that's really normal. And a lot of Germans aren't necessarily reflexophilia phobic. No, that's very true. You can all Google that. We're not going to dwell. <laughs> Foreskin also makes it easier. But then again, that's a different conversation. Um, uh, I just I just always say training. Go get right back into it. Get back on there. And just, you know, and it's all about breathing technique. Mm-hmm. And it's all about relaxing and not being afraid that you'll throw up in your mouth again because then it'll definitely happen. So just let it all go, quite literally. And uh, uh, and just... And just uh, um, take a deep breath before so you don't feel like you're not going to be able to breathe and just get on that like a big lollipop and have a lot of fun with it. And just like you don't have anal sex with an ass full of crap, you might not want to give a deep throaty blowjob right after you ate food, pasta and bread and dessert mm. and salad and you had two bottles of wine. Yeah. You want to give a blowjob, particularly if you're going to like give an enthusiastic fuck my throat kind of blowjob uh, when you're not feeling full. Same rules apply for butt fucking. You know, when you're not feeling full, you don't have to purge. You don't have to orally douche. But you know when, you know, if you're triggered, it's going to be more consequential. And right after a meal, that kind of triggering, triggering your gag reflex could be more consequential. And also a tip for the ladies from the faggots. I think a lot of straight folks have it in their head that a blowjob is a look, ma, no hands affair. Oh, no. And that you're not allowed to take breaks, that it's just like fucking some other orifice. And you can wrap a fist around the base. You can occasionally swap out both of your wet and sloppy hands for your mouth and give yourself a little rest. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, it's a blowjob. It's not a long-term lease. And they can be in and out of your mouth and you have to incorporate your hands hands into it as well. Uh, And if you do that, you know, you may tiptoe up to occasionally feeling like you might retch. And when you have that, I might retch feeling back off. Yep. Take a little breather. You choke up on the bat and shorten it. You can, it's not going as far into your throat or Mm -hmm. mouth. You can tickle the balls a little bit. You should, uh, when you have your hands on the, on the, uh, phallus, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or choke up on the bat. Uh, that one. Um, uh, then you probably want to massage the urethra a little bit. That usually feels really good for men. Um, uh, and just, yeah, take take your time. Take a deep breath. Um, if you need to take a break, as Dan said, um, use the hands or maybe give your partner a kiss or maybe maybe play with their balls a little bit. Or, you know, there are so many different things. But it's not it's not a marathon. Like, you don't have to be down there for 15 minutes and not right. breathe. But, but some people have the head that, you know, a blowjob is a job. It's it's a work. That's why it's called a blow vacation. <laughs> And uh, some people have it in their heads that if I, you know, if I stop sucking for a second, then I'm going to extend the life of this blowjob. It's going to take even longer to make them come, which is why if you stop sucking, if you take it out of your mouth for a second, keep your hands working up and down on that dick. Keep yep. stroking, give it a little extra attention to the head, get them a little closer so that when you dive back down in, with your mouth, you haven't lost ground. That's true. Um, I have an easier time because I no longer have tonsils. So that might be a good question, but you know, that's different. Um, and uh, if you want to practice because you're afraid of doing it with your partner directly in front of them, then go to one of the sex stores, get a like normal sized dildo, um, wash it good. And then, and then just try and practice to like, try and practice relaxing your throat, try and practice to your breathing habits and all the things. But you're going to want to get a dildo with a wide flared base, maybe with some nuts so it doesn't slip down your throat and you don't die tragically what? with a dildo embedded in your I've never esophagus. heard of that. That's not a thing. Hey, well, I just I have to I have to worry about liabilities here on my I mean, show. Yes, Somebody might listen to you say get a dildo, they'll get a vibrator that doesn't actually have a base. Oh, no, 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 no. And like, they'll swallow it. No. And then they'll die. Oh, that's terrifying. And then I'll get in trouble. We don't want you in trouble. And everyone will laugh at their obituary. <laughs> She reached too deep. No, that's that wouldn't be right. Anyways, um, don't be afraid. Keep keep on trucking, and um, they're a lot of fun. And also, and we've all done it. 
We've all done We've it. We've all done it. You know, don't think you're like the amateur given the blowjob for the first time oh. and you were terrible at it because you threw up in your mouth a little bit. Even the pros still sometimes do it. hit that spot where they, yep. it starts coming up a little bit. Let it, you know, then you got to back settle. off, let swallow, work the hands, bit. work the balls. Yep. Good. Good luck. Good luck. We who have sucked so many dicks salute me who have sucked <laughs> your first. Talk for yourself. <laughs> You haven't sucked so many dicks? No, I'm a virgin. So many is relative. <laughs> Very relative. Hey, how's it going, Dan? Uh, I'm a 23-year-old guy living on the uh, West Coast. I just moved out here. Uh, I'm planning on moving down to L.A. pretty soon. I guess what my question revolves around is, is it okay as a straight male for me to want to work in gay bars? Um, I've worked doors and stuff like that and been a bartender for you know a while before and um i don't know if it's a vibe i give off or something like that uh but most of these guys seem to think you know i'm gay which you know i don't i don't have a problem with and generally you know i'll be like oh you know i'm, I'm not interested i'm straight or whatever which is like you know fine i have i have no problem doing that kind of stuff um i just wanted to know whether it's almost like me putting up like a front or an illusion pretending to be gay if I'm working at one of these bars, but, uh, apparently you just make way better tips. And, you know, if they're into me, I'm sure it's like, you know, a stupid guy at the bar giving his money to a girl that doesn't want to get with him. It, you know, it's just the same thing, but the roles reversed, I guess. Um, but I just wanted to know whether it's ethically okay for uh, me to do that. I think this question is so cute. I think it's adorable. Darling. Yeah. Does this person not know that most, well, not most, but a significant percentage of the porn produced for gay men features what's called gay for pay guys who are straight? Is it? Yes. What? And if gay men don't have a problem with our porn stars being straight, I really don't think gay men have a problem with our bartenders being straight. It's not like we draw the line at bartender and say, oh, no, no, now you've gone oh, too no, far, straight too guys. Far. Nope. In the bed's okay, but not in the bar. You live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Do you sometimes go to the gay bars here? I mean, me gay? I'm not gay. What? No, of course. Yes, I absolutely go to the gay bars. And we have a lot of straight go-go dancers. We have gay bartenders. We have straight bartenders, gay bartenders. We have female bartenders, which are usually the ones that make the most money because we're all like, your hair is fabulous. Here's more money. <laughs> um, so I think it's So you don't demand fine. proof of homosexuality from the You don't make the bartender put a dick in his mouth before it gets you a vodka and tonic. I mean, that's an interesting concept and we should talk about that. I'm not sure if the ABC regulations would be okay with that. But um, I think, uh, so So you don't have to pretend to be gay, right? Um, we love you either way. Um, for us, I think in, in the matter is um, our, our bars are our community spaces. So so just let us be gay. And as long as you're not trying to make us be straight in the bar, then you're I think you're absolutely fine. And sure, somebody will come on to you. Um, and if you respectfully say, hey, that's really nice. Thank you so much. But I'm not interested. Or I'm actually I'm actually the token straight boy. It'll probably end in a laugh and everybody will be fine and walk away. But so don't get huffy. Don't get huffy and be like, it'll gross. If you're a straight <laughs> piece of meat in a gay bar working in a jockstrap serving drinks and making bank because the guys think you're hot you can't do that thing that some straight guy bartenders in those situations have done where somebody hits on them makes an offer yeah. and then they get all huffy about the, the presumption that they were available mm -hmm. and, and you can't do that you don't have to put up with sexual harassment you don't have to put up with people groping you or grabbing your tits across the bar all of that that's not okay people yeah. shouldn't manhandle or sexually harass their servers but somebody slips you a phone number and you text them as it happened to someone 
that I know no. slipped a phone number to a bartender in a gay bar in the Midwest and got a really angry text about how they weren't a fag. Well, but now you have the phone number of the person. Like, why would you even react? I know. Take the number and be like, mm, done. Yeah, take the number with That's the 20 so that came with it. Could that have been somebody who was just not comfortable with themselves being gay, so they lashed out backwards? Who knows? Who knows? It was, it was, it was five, ten years ago. Oh, but but okay. this person, I just think it's a darling and he's struggling no, with the ethics. I, I love this. I mean, I've never heard somebody be more respectful of our community spaces, of our bars. And like just to be just to be so self-conscious around I'm going to ask this question shows me that you should absolutely work in a gay bar. Let me know where you are. I'll come and give you an extra fiber. Eric Loya, executive director of the Free Speech Coalition. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me, Dan. And folks who want to find your organization online should go to freespeechcoalition.com. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a 19-year-old, pansexual, non-binary person from the Midwest. Last night I had a dream where I was fucking my brother. <laughs> and I don't really know if that's concerning or bad. I do have a like incest fetish but never has it been that I actually want to do anything with my family it's just it kind of turns me on I also have a little fetish I enjoy calling my partner's daddy I like when they own me I like to act younger than I am I wonder if that all kind of ties together and if I should be worried that I had this dream about my brother, who I'm in no way sexually attracted to, I would never do anything like that with him. But I had this dream and it was, I woke up in the morning and I was like, ah, what do you think about that? Is that normal? Do other people that have fetishes similar to mine have had these dreams? I'm very confused and just want to make sure I am not. I don't know. Apophenia, the human tendency to seek patterns or to perceive patterns in random information. You don't want to fuck your brother. You had this dream about fucking your brother and you didn't wake up with any desire to actually go fuck your brother. You're also into daddy stuff and you have an incest fetish that isn't related to actually wanting to fuck any Family members, which is what most people who view incest porn report, most say that they have no desire to sleep with their actual family members, but there's something about incest porn scenarios, many of which involve stepbrothers, stepsisters, stepmothers, stepsons, uh, that turns them on. And it's the transgressive nature of it. It's the taboo violation. But in their fantasies, most people with incest fetishes, in their fantasies, they cast strangers in these roles, strangers to them, imagined fantasy scenario family members, but not actual family members. So what's likelier that you had a random dream, a random sex dream, and your brother got pulled into it somehow because no one really understands how dreams work or what they mean or what the fuck is going on. I had a dream once about fucking the Queen of England. And I am a monarchist. Are those two things related? I don't think so. It was just a random fucking dream. And I was having sex with a woman who happened to be the Queen of England. Weird. I also watched The Crown. I binged The Crown all week long. Maybe I wanted to fuck Claire Foy for five seconds, but I doubt it. It was just random. It doesn't mean I'm secretly heterosexual that in a dream about Elizabeth Windsor. And just like I don't really want to have sex with women or the Queen of England, I don't think your dream means that you secretly 
on some subconscious level because dreams are not a key to our subconscious minds or desires that you want to have sex with your actual brother. Seems to me that it is far likelier, so much more likely that I'm just going to say this is what it is. You have these certain sexual interests, you have these kinks, you have these fantasies, and you had a rando sex dream that your brother got pulled into. And it's not these two phenomena are not related. One does not implicate the other and neither implicates you. All right, before we get to your response calls, some of your tweets. Kristen Page tweets, I demand Dr. Jen Gunter go on the Savage Lovecast with Fake Dan Savage, and I'm going to drink this G&T until it happens. Enjoy the G&Ts, but it's already happened. The great Dr. Jen Gunter has been a guest on the Savage Lovecast in the past. Dig through the archives. She's also been a guest expert in Savage Love, my advice column. Look her up and pre-order her coming new book, The Vagina Bible. I have got my copy pre-ordered. Get your copy pre-ordered right now. Just Juno tweets at Fake Dan Savage. Is there any non-phone way for people outside the U.S. to ask a question for the Savage Lovecast? International calls are expensive, yo. Yes, of course, you can record a question on your own phone or on your own computer, and you can email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Dave Nicholson tweets, I live in an old folks home and we play Yahtzee now and then. Good to know that somebody out there is playing Yahtzee and gets my incessant and constant Yahtzee references down there at the old folks home. Thanks for writing, Dave. And finally, Philip Harkin tweets, new Magnum subscriber. Really love it. Thank you for everything you do. I'm a pretty sex positive person and don't want to sex shame anyone. What are your thoughts, Dan, on Roger Stone's cuckold online persona? Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Well, Roger Stone, who's been in the news, if you don't know who he is, Google him. Conservative, longtime activist, self-confessed, self-admitted, self-described, self-identified rat fucker. Apparently, he and his wife had ads in Swingers magazines in the 70s and 80s and 90s where they were seeking thirds. And he was framed or described or was implied strongly that Roger was a cuckold. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course, there is nothing wrong with that. But Roger, of course, has been aligned with a political party for decades that seeks to persecute other people for their private consensual sexual conduct. So if Roger's online doing dirty things kind of dirty things that got him bounced from the Bob Dole for president campaign way, way, way back when that opens him up to charges of hypocrisy. And that's where people get outed. That's where people's private consensual conduct becomes fit for public debate when it is evidence of hypocrisy. If you are carrying water for the Republican Party, if you're a Republican activist and you behave in not family values-y ways when your pants are off, We all have a right to discuss that. Thanks for all your tweets. If you want me to possibly read your tweet on a future episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now, some response calls. Hi, Dan and the Savage Lovecast. I was calling regarding your uh, most recent episode about the woman who called about her friend uh, forcing her partner to uh, get circumcised. I completely agree with Dan 100%. Uh, if the genders would have been swapped, um, this would have been so horrible, and you would have thought that your friend was a monster, and she is. So maybe don't be her friend anymore. And for the people that were wondering, uncircumcised penis are amazing. My partner has the most amazing penis I've ever seen, and I can't believe that people would just want to change that. Also, if you're not doing it for religious reasons, maybe don't do it. It's not that big of a deal, and you don't really need it, man. Out there, don't get circumcised for your girlfriend that you know that for sure 
you're not going to be 100% with them. Anyways, enjoy your uncircumcised dicks. Hi, Dan. This is about your most recent episode and the poly woman who is, like, cheating with all of her friends or helping her friends cheat. I am livid. This is the kind of behavior that makes people really wary of poly. I'm poly myself, and when I come out, some people, like, shrink from me because they think I'm, they think I'm there to get their man. It's really infuriating. And if I was that woman's wife, I would leave her in a minute because she's helping with this behavior. And also, if someone's cheating, then they're less likely to tell you their STD status or practice safe sex. Like, she's really putting a lot of people in jeopardy, and she's just being a bitch. Like, she's not a good person. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the guy in episode 641 who went to Vegas and hooked up with a sex worker and is now considering using sex workers regularly because he can't find a girlfriend. Um, You told him that his beauty standards are probably unreasonably high, and I agree, but you missed the bigger picture, which is that this guy sounds insufferable. Um, I guarantee you his main problem is that he's annoying women with his arrogance. Uh, For example, the way he made it sound like he was doing the sex worker a favor by fucking her. Um, No, dude, she's just doing her job, you know. Um, And he has no idea if she really came, by the way. Um, And then he's congratulating himself, you know, for treating her with the basic decency you should afford anyone you're having sex with, regardless of whether um, you're paying them or not. And and then he keeps going on about how kind and generous and sweet he is. And kind and generous and sweet people don't go on about how kind, generous and sweet they are, right? They just they just live it. It's like show don't tell, you know. If this is the way he's pitching himself to women, you know, when he goes on dates or he meets them in bars, I guarantee the problem is that they're turned off and they think he's full of it. The stuff about, you know, how hard his dick is, it's just like oh. You don't have to say it, man. Just, like, have a hard dick. Like, good for you, as most guys do. Just, you don't have to, like, make a thing out of it. And then, oh, then the way he introduces himself as a feminist, like, he seems like he wants a cookie for that. All of it is just weird, man. So just, like, get your life, you know? But it's not women's problem. It's, it's you're being weird. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 206- 302-2064. My Dirty Little Film Festival Hump is out there on the road, headed to a city near you. For tickets and more info, head over to humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>